Welcome everyone to Give God 90 Radio On Demand. My name is Jerry Mitchell, your host for Give God 90. It is such a pleasure to have you join me as we continue our discussion with the Ten Commandments. Uh, You know, up until now, it's pretty basic, pretty simple, pretty easy stuff to get along with, right? Now, you're going to look at something today, hopefully from another perspective. It's going to, to hopefully open your eyes, get you out of your comfort zone, and you're going to say, oh my, that can't be, but it can be. <clears throat> you see, what we're going to look at today, we are up to thou shalt not commit adultery. That's right. You are not supposed to commit adultery. And, you know, it sounds easy, right? It's Exodus twenty fourteen. Just a very simple, basic command. A simple matter. But when we think about this, why is it where it is? Okay? And maybe, maybe we should look at a couple of other things. Maybe we should kind of not get so comfortable and so condescending about something like this because we might not grasp the concept. We might not quite um, have all the information we need about this. When we think about adultery today, why is it so prevalent in our society? What is going on? Why you know, does anybody wake up in the morning, okay, or in depending on what time of day you you wake up, do you ever open your eyes and the first thought in your mind is, "I have to go commit adultery today"? I don't know anybody like that. I really don't. Okay, there may be people out there that have that thought. I just don't know anybody like that. It's interesting that in the United States, the divorce rate has actually gone down a little bit over the last few years. So there's a lot of reasons for that. Some people might say, well, because you know, the marriage rate has, has declined as well. And maybe, maybe. It could be that this next gen- the next generations we have um, are getting away from some of the parents' mistakes and, and doing things a little bit differently. But it's interesting that approximately 27% of divorces are directly due to adultery. Okay? Now we can add another 3 to 5% where adultery may be a contributing factor to the divorce. So we, it, it's safe to say, it, it's, these numbers actually all come from uh, U.S. statistics, uh, U.S. government statistics actually. <clears throat> So, you know, it's pretty safe to say that about 30% on average uh, is the reason for marriages ending. We can can say it was either because somebody was unfaithful or that was a contributing factor. Now, one of the reasons the numbers uh, are where they are, and they are actually much lower than I thought. They are actually much lower than I thought. I figured they would be much higher 
given uh, our society today, but they're actually, and, and they haven't changed tremendously over the years either. That's interesting. But to define adultery, it might not be as easy as you think it is. Um, adultery, as defined in the Bible, might not be as easy as you think it is to define. You see, it's, it's kind of fun to play with definitions until you go back and you look and you see exactly what they are. <clears throat> when you go and you see exactly what God said they are, because then uh, it might not be what we want it to be. It might not be what our legal system wants it to be, right? <clears throat> so to understand adultery, we, you know, we really have to understand... Okay, this is something one person can't do by themselves. Okay, it it takes two. You have to have two people to commit adultery. And (laughs) one of them must be married. At least one of them must be married to make it adultery. Now, Having said that, <clears throat> we need to fully understand what marriage is, and I don't have a whole lot of time to go into that, so I'm, I'm going to give you the really, really short version. Marriage is a covenant relationship, a covenant relationship between a man, a woman, and their creator. Well, that seems pretty simple until you have to understand, well, there's this word covenant in there that we need to understand. Uh, the, the really short version is it's an agreement with certain specific parameters that must be met by each party involved. That's what, it's kind of like a contract, but it's not, not a contract. Uh, the, the parameters are different. The punishment is much different in a covenant relationship than in a contract. Um, <clears throat> if you are in agreement with these certain parameters, okay, everything goes along fine. But if one party breaks the covenant, there is a severe penalty, a severe penalty. Now, knowing that our Creator will never violate His part of the covenant, uh, guess who's going to be the one that violates the covenant? It's going to be us, right? Typically in a marriage covenant, uh, (laughs) the violating party was to leave, all right? If something so egregious happened, all right, whoever was the violator of the covenant, they would leave. And they would only take with them what was theirs before the marriage. Anything, any wealth that was acquired during the marriage, they didn't get to keep. Now, this is for men and for women. And what I'm saying might go against some of the traditions that you uh, have thought were always one-sided towards the man. They were not. <clears throat> okay? They, they, those things were not. It, what is actually real, what was actually done, what was actually enforced by the Hebrew culture after Moses uh, was, was very fair. Very, very fair. Uh, and it was it was done that way for a reason. You see, if a man failed to be a good husband, 
it was the wife's responsibility to remove grace from the home to the point where he understood he was wrong. And he could either repent and fix it, or he could sit down and write out a bill of divorce, which was a very detailed, and I mean very detailed, explanation of why this divorce took place, so that when she would take this and show it to someone else, they could look and they would know whether it was her fault or his fault. And then they could decide the relationship from there, okay? If it was the man's fault, now, let's, let's think about this for a moment. If the man comes from a fairly poor family, and he uh, marries into this relationship with someone from a wealthy family, he's going to acquire some wealth, right? Well, if he messes up, he, he fails to be a good husband, a good provider, and he fails to do the things that, that he agrees to in the covenant, she removes the grace from the home. He details this in a writ of divorce. And then, okay, he leaves with only what he brought. So if it's her house, guess who gets the house? If it's her land, guess who gets the land? If it's her everything, you know, you know, guys, if, if you bring uh, a, a toothbrush and a razor into the marriage, you don't get the house, okay? You get your toothbrush and your razor and you go home. Everything else everything else, whatever you may have acquired during that marriage, you leave behind. It's not designed to be some easy thing that it was turned into over a period of centuries. So, I, I write about this in a lot of detail in God's Universe, God's Rules. If you want to pick that book up, I suggest you do so. Uh, there is this whole concept of marriage that people just just don't understand, especially in the United States, because let's just face it, we, we, we've messed it up. We really have. And I have to say that because I need to to say this, and some of the churches aren't going to like what I say right here. They don't like a lot of what I say, but especially right here. The concept that a marriage is between one man and one woman is a modern Christian idea. It's, it's that simple. There is, in the Bible, specific instructions concerning certain widows' relationships. Um, we're, we're gonna, I'm going to look at Deuteronomy 25.5 that says, uh, and this is from David Stearns, and typically he does a really good job. He, he doesn't do such a good job with this particular verse. He takes the modern Christian approach to translating this verse. And he writes, If brothers live together and one of them dies childless, his widow is not to marry someone unrelated to him. Her husband's brother is to go to her and perform the duty of a brother-in-law by marrying her. That is really not a good translation. And I use this not to criticize him. 
but to really drive the point that this is a modern Christian viewpoint of this verse. When you really get down to it, the word brothers here in this verse is the same word that is often translated as countrymen, kinsmen, kind-like. Um, they don't have to be blood-related from the same parent. Okay? They, they can be um, not necessarily, they can be related, they don't necessarily have to be related. They don't even have to be from the same tribe in this instance. Okay, they do have to be friends. They have to be uh, in some type of business arrangement. They have to be in some type of, of, of uh, contractual arrangement. Maybe it's a covenant arrangement. But they have to be close enough uh, so that they understand kind of how each other think they understand you know what their their desires were the same if, you know if you're in business together typically you're you know not one partner's going to be in uh uh let's say they're going to be manufacturing at, at this the time this was going on one partner's not going to be manufacturing maybe tent doors and the other partner's going to be manufacturing um oh let's just say something really off the wall like <laughs> patch kits or something, you know. I don't know. Take 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 a while, guys. You you know, you're going to have the same goal. You're going to be uh, thinking alike. You're going to be doing the things together that you would be doing. So, in other words, you were for all um, practicality, all but family. If you weren't related. Now, the word he uses for living together does not necessarily always mean that either. You don't have to live under the same roof. You have to live close by, but the the concept is that your arrangements are so that you can conduct your business. You're not necessarily under the same roof again, but close enough so that you're in constant contact. So this is a close relationship they have. Um, I know many, many, many people uh, who oftentimes the people they wind up working with are more like family than their real family. Not always because they spend more time with them, but because their goal orientation is towards the same thing. Not always, you know, I know in my family, uh, not all of my brothers had the same goal in life. Some you know, wanted to go one way, some went the other way, and some went another way. And that's I, we see that in a lot of families. But the the what we're getting at here is to kind of keep that that goal orientation very very close. So for modern Christians to claim that marriage is between one man and one woman is not exactly biblically accurate. We see here that uh, a man is instructed by God to acquire more than one wife under certain circumstances, right? And there are other certain circumstances that that occurs in that I'm not going to go into the details of. 
but guys don't get too excited about this, okay? Because what it means, what it means for the man is he is now totally and completely responsible for each wife. He is now in a covenant relationship, not just with one wife, but he becomes in a covenant relationship with more than one wife, which means he now is responsible for two homes, two households, and guess what else? He is responsible for all of the children that come along. Yes, there was no getting out of child support way back when. You had to do it. You were responsible. You had to you had to be responsible enough to support more than one household and many children. So don't get you know guys don't get all all proud of yourselves because it takes a lot I mean, it takes somebody who works very, 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 very diligently to be able to do that, even in today's society. We need to understand these biblical definitions so we can understand why, when we're told not to commit adultery, that we understand adultery is not just some whimsical thing that God threw in here, so, you know, the Ten Commandments added up to the Ten Commandments, okay? Um there's everything in scripture is there for a reason it's there for importance and it's in order of importance often adultery uh is between a married person and someone other than a spouse so you know somebody who's listening very carefully might say well okay there's some questions here i've got a question and i already know what your question is and that question is, if adultery is between a married person and someone who's not a spouse, if neither person is married, is it still adultery? Ah, if, if neither person is married, is it still adultery? Well, the short answer to that is no. That's the short answer. Uh, by definition... In Scripture, adultery requires at least one person to be married to someone with whom they are not in a covenant relationship. Okay? In other words, if a man has more than one wife and engages in sexual intercourse with someone who's not married, it is adultery. But if he has intercourse with one of his wives, it's not adultery because they would be in a covenant relationship. And if you're wondering where the prohibition is for intercourse between two people when neither are married, there isn't one. Okay, um, there are social and cultural differences that come with this. And most cultures today, it is considered socially unacceptable for people to engage in sexual activity. But there are places where it is free. Okay, you can go do it in that, you know, in those cultures in the world. They, it, it's totally accepted. Um, there are certain civilizations where it's accepted. There are certain uh, places. Now, you have to be careful when you go certain places because there are places where it is not acceptable and there is severe punishment for two people outside of wedlock to engage in sexual activity uh, to the extent to the extent where some people are even put in jail and others are killed um, because of it 
this is uh, most often, you know, that situation uh, is often translated as fornication in Paul's letters. And it can get confusing because Paul's often speaking to the Greeks and the Greeks accepted that type of thing as normal. And Paul's addressing it from a standpoint of Hebrew culture into a Greek culture. And it gets confusing. It really does because he's not, um, they're not translating words there very clearly. And you, you really got to watch what he says, okay? <clears throat> now, we need to remember that in all of that, in all of that, there is a prohibition. There is a prohibition against prostitution both ways okay so if you if you look at that um prostitution is being paid or accepting favors uh for some type of sexual activity paul says you know that's what he's getting at when he's talking about fornication and, and the Greeks accepted it a lot of ways. Um, and I'm not going to get into the differences here because I don't have time to explain that. I want to I want to be done here uh, before long. And it just there's other there's other things that I want to get to. Um, if, if you read my books, it's in there. It's in there. Um, where this takes where 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 God placed this in this list is because he comes down and he's shouting these things out to the people. You know, it's right after don't murder and just before don't steal. So why? Why does our Creator put a prohibition in place against uh, adultery in this particular spot? You know, it, it it's obviously uh, not as important as don't murder somebody. But it's more important than don't steal from somebody. Let's, let's look at this this way. Our Creator puts a prohibition in place against using adultery uh, so that men would not be able to obtain property of any kind through uh, basically a sexual relationship. All right? Let's look at it another way. If if a man were able to acquire land or gold or wealth, and all he has to do is look around and say, hmm, you know what? Fred over there, he is a really rich man, and he's got this daughter, and if I do this with her, I can get some of Fred's wealth. Okay? That's what was going on in Egypt. That's what they saw in Egypt. So God comes down and he says, you know, you're not going to do this. This is wrong. You're not going to do what the Egyptians do. And he puts a prohibition against, the, against that action. And he basically reverses what they had been watching in Egypt. He basically reverses what they had been seeing these Egyptians do, uh, claiming that it glorified their sun god. 
So now, not only is a man forbidden to acquire wealth without the benefit of a, of a covenant relationship, he may indeed lose any wealth that he acquired during that relationship if he, if he fails to, to abide by the parameters of the covenant. And really, to make it worse, the punishment for adultery, Leviticus 20, verse 10. If a man commits adultery with another man's wife, that is, with the wife of a fellow countryman, both adulterer and adulteress must be put to death. Let me, let me say that again. If, a, if, if two people are caught in adultery, they must be put to death. That is how severe the punishment is for adultery. It's so, imp- I mean, it, it, it's so important. It's not, you know, like a smidgen under, a smidgen under don't murder somebody, and a smidgen over don't steal. And it's so important, he says, look, if you guys get caught doing this, you're going to die right now, today. And by the way, if you think about when they brought the adulterous woman to Yeshua, to Jesus, and he's waiting and waiting and waiting, he's waiting for them to bring the man, but they never bring the man. And he looks at her and he says, well, you know, you can't commit adultery by yourself, ma'am. Don't do it again. Do not do it again. Understanding adultery from a biblical perspective is absolutely crucial. Absolutely crucial if we want to know and understand some of the problems we're facing today. You know, we're given these instructions so that we can live in this fallen world and still be able to please our Creator. That's why we're given these instructions. One of the reasons we're given these instructions. Another reason is so that we can be an example to the people around us. You know, they can look at, if you're living by these instructions, people should be able to look at you and say, you know, what is it that you have? What is it that you're doing that makes your life look so appealing? Have you ever thought about that? The things you do, other people look at and watch. If you follow God's instructions, your life should be so appealing that other people see it and they wonder what it is you're doing, what it is that you know that they don't know that makes your life so appealing to them. Another reason we're giving these instructions is very simple. It's very simple. Our Creator designed us to live a certain way. And these instructions show us how He designed us to live. You know, it's, it's not a secret. He wants everybody to benefit from these instructions. That's why we are to be the example. That's why He gives them to us. He said, look, go be an example to the rest of the world. Go be an example to the rest of the world, and all will be well with you. Understanding adultery, especially in its context, and, and the way we treat it today, has diminished that context. It really has diminished the context, and that's a, that's a shame. 
because it's so important. It's a shame because what we have done with the word of our creator is to diminish it to nothing more than <laughs> eh, it's just something to be joked about. And it's not. It's important. It's there for a reason. If you live according to these instructions, and I know that I am probably preaching to the choir here now, if you live according to these instructions, your life has no, no choice but to improve. It has to because you're living the way your Creator designed you to live. Ladies and gentlemen, with that, I thank you for joining me today one more time. Um, as we go through these, I really hope they are a blessing to you. And until next week, I wish you many, many blessings. Thank you.